all the smart people, including myself, the advice always was, hey, you should really go and work someplace else. Don't go right into your family business. Go do something else. But I mean, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I'd spent enough time around it, spending time with my dad. And I just knew that's where I wanted to do. So I just started mm-hmm. and then immediately got run over by a dump truck and was laid up for about a year. Welcome to ICI Digs Deep. This is the first episode in a new segment we're launching for ICI Centennial in 2024, where we share stories from the past century. I'm also excited to announce that our Centennial website is now live. Head over to ICI100.org, that's ICI100.org, to browse through photos, read blog posts, and stay up to date about everything Centennial. Today on the podcast, I chat with Kevin Kelly about his family business, Walsh & Kelly, hotel lettings, and, well, what happened next with the dump truck. I had sort of two stints in the business. I started out when I got out of school and was a salesman for the asphalt supply company. And, you know, we were involved, knew all the contractors, were at all the lettings, did all the stuff, went to conventions and all that stuff. And then after we sold the bulk of that, the material side, to a French company, I took on a role of sort of introducing this new product that they had developed. It was an enhanced performance product and tried to get it introduced around the country and within the, the plants where we did business across the country. About what year was this? That would have been, we sold it in 1980. So from 80 to 85, I worked for them. And they wanted me to move to St. Louis. I didn't really want to do that. So I briefly worked for Walsh & Kelly, who was my customer at the time. But it didn't work out. The timing wasn't there. The job wasn't right. I kind of talked the guy that ran the company, who was my dad's cousin, into hiring me. But it just, the timing wasn't right. So I got my graduate degree and MBA 10 years after I got out of school. And I just sort of went off. I was going to make my own way. And so I ended up working in a place called, what's now called Crow. But at that time, it was called Pro Chiswick. I'm not an accountant or a tax guy, but I did people kind of related things. I did executive search. I did management reviews. I did organizational reviews. I helped people with strategic planning or building management teams or things like that. Ended up becoming a partner with them, running this chunk of their business. And I had also founded or helped co-found a temporary staffing business within that arm called Creative Financial Staffing, which still exists. But I was gonna. I was happy to stay there. Was gonna be there for a long time. But they ended up having some. The guy that had that had been running Walsh and Kelly had some health problems at MS. My dad and my uncles were looking to do something different, and ended up asking me to take a look at coming back. And as much as I loved my job at Kochizik, and as much as you know the family tug and everything else, it was something. And I was going to have a chance to do what I always thought the way it ought to be done anyway. So I went back to Walsh and Kelly in 1997, became the president in 1999. Andy sent me, and you guys have copies of all this, of stuff, all kinds of correspondence that took place back in the day between my grandfather and Bill Holland and Jim Newland and my dad. You know, there was a bunch of cool stuff there that she kept all records of it was Mm -hmm. very interesting to look back to think about 
you know, the different roles that they would play. You know, they're going to have a meeting. So call over there, make sure you get me a room, make sure you do this or kind of interesting. Obviously that is not the way anything worked by the time I got around. (laughs) Yeah. I saw those files where, you know, like you said, just for one meeting, there'll be like a bunch of letters and telephone calls and telegrams even. The train comes in at three o'clock, pick me up at the depot and whatever. Yeah. It's pretty, it's, Hard to imagine, really, how far we've come in that time period in terms of just basic communication tools. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, who would have ever thought you'd be doing something like this? Certainly those guys. Can you imagine? (laughs) It's hard for me to imagine. It's essentially we're trying out a training program because they never had one before to bring new people into the company. So I was the guinea pig. So I was in the middle of traveling around all around the Midwest and the Southwest where we had locations to learn about our product, the different ways we changed the product to meet local needs and local aggregate sources, et cetera. So I was in the middle of doing that. And I'd started doing that, I guess, probably the first part of June. And this was now the third week in July. And I'm in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. And do you know what chip and seal is? Mm-hmm. So we were doing an operation like that, and the company that I was working for was selling the liquid asphalt. And I'd been gone for a couple of weeks, and I was coming home that day. I was engaged at the time to my wife, and so I was coming back to Chicago to visit her. We were going to go see Jimmy Buffett that night, and I was going to be home for about a week before I had to go back out to Kansas and keep going towards Texas and New Mexico and Colorado. Anyway, I'm leaving that day to come back, and it's around lunchtime, and the construction train had been. You know, it was a quarter mile down in front of me. So I was kind of looking at the road and looking at the product and kind of hanging around near where we were all parked. This one dump truck that had been broken down all morning, it somehow or another got fixed and started moving in the same direction I was walking. Didn't have any backup alarm. I'm just walking along and I'm like, bam, I get banged in the back of my head. What turned out to be the bed of the dump truck knocked me down. So I'm trying to get out of the way, but the truck is coming like this and literally rolled over me from like right from just above my knee to just below my chest. Oh my God. Well, I know. I mean, was someone I know. driving it or did it just, yeah. like, Oh my God. No, no, I'm driving it. So it's a single axle dual wheel dump truck. It probably was 10 to 12 tons you know, loaded and it was all loaded. Just squishes me right across this. And then for good measure, the front tire went over me too. So you can imagine I'm sitting there, I'm laying, I'm saying, well, you're going to die. You know, you, this, you can't, I'm not going to survive this. And I started thinking about, oh, man, I'm not going to see Mary Joe. We're not going to go to the concert tonight. Oh, man, the wedding's going to end up being called off. That's going to be all messed up. We got all that planning. and So I'm, this stuff is going through my head. And all of a sudden, it occurred to me that I was talking to myself. So I was not dead. And I realized as long as I'm awake, I'm not dead. I just kept staying awake. That's all I said. If if I'm awake, I'm not dead. If I'm awake, I'm not dead. And I ended up being able to stay awake till they got me to a trauma center about 22 miles away. They saved my life, at least for the time being. And uh, it wasn't good. It was still very, you know, I mean, I was in bad, 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 bad shape. And somebody says, how bad? I said, well, my dad, they got a hold of my dad, who was in Lafayette at McConaughey's lab. My uncle had gotten a call in Terre Haute and so knew this was bad, grabbed our airplane, 
went to Lafayette, grabbed my dad. My dad was able to talk to uh, the doctor before he got on the airplane. The, the guy says, he says, uh, he's awake. We're getting him ready. If we can get him some blood and get him into surgery fast, he might live until you get here. Yikes. Kind of scary. But I did. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't my time. God wasn't ready for me. I didn't want to die with good doctors and they saved my life. And then I went through a whole bunch of surgeries and a whole bunch of time. Pretty much a good chunk of the next year was kind of spent in and out of hospitals and getting operated on. But, you know, by the grace of God, here I am. Wow. How old were you? 22. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's awful. I'm so glad you made it out. (laughs) My wife stayed around. We had to delay the wedding. We were supposed to get married in November. We ended up getting married the next April. The, uh, it is kind of an interesting story, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, I literally have given my body to this industry. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever go to Lettings? Well, yeah, back in the day when they had those, my real memories of that was at the Atkinson Hotel. Before that, they had gone to the Claypool. I might have been to one at the Claypool, but I don't. I mean, I remember hearing stories about the Claypool, but my memories are the Atkinson. And everybody would be there, and you'd all be their rooms. And depending on how big your company was, you had either just a room or you maybe had a suite of rooms. And all the suppliers, which I was at at that time, when I first started going, you know, had rooms open and had food and booze, and people could come in and get something to eat or get something to drink and move around. And Everybody sort of just meandered all over the place, quoting prices and trying to learn what was going to go on. I mean, it, I know it sounds as if that would have been fraught for like setting everything up, but that wasn't the case. I mean, clearly there were instances at some points of our history where where that was a practice, but it wasn't common and universal. And that's not what the lettings were for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, everybody was running around and you could always tell the guys that had big jobs versus the guys that were just kind of there because the guys that didn't really have a bunch to bid would be they'd be at St. Elmo's having dinner or, you know, going out. And the people that had a bunch of work went to eat early, went back to their rooms and just, you know, worked away all night. And then the next morning, you know, everybody would get together and they would literally open the bids. There wasn't prevalent job setting up, you know what I mean? But there were, would have been times, certainly I remember when I was much younger, that, you know, some geography sometimes got respected. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I remember there was a job that a guy in Jack Day in Triangle Asphalt had a job that was right next to his plant in Lebanon. And some of the other guys might have been taking a look at it. Ruth Riley, you know, was sort of in the vicinity. Back, they've always bid everything everywhere. And there was probably somebody from Milestone at that time that would have been Contractors United might have been looking at something. So, you know, there would have been guys that had plans out just because they're sort of looking and you know, Jack wasn't out trying to get it, anybody to bid it or not bid it or what the price are going to be, but he's doing his just marketing and telling us, trying to figure out whether anybody's going to do it. And so he's pretty sure that he that he's maybe going to be the only guy that's going to bid because nobody else can really be competitive. But he didn't know what was going on with Reith Riley. And at the time, the guy that ran them was Bill Reith, one of the brothers, mm-hmm. little old guy, very nice guy, very quiet, very demure. And they happen to end up being on the elevator together. And I happen to be on the, on the elevator with them. And so they get to a floor and Bill looks over to Jack and says, are you going to get off? And 
Jack went crazy. He said, what do you mean am I going to get off? You're the one that needs to get off. The job's right in front of my plant. Blah, 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 blah. And Bill looked over. He says, no, I meant is the elevator. Is this your floor? <laughs> <laughs> Did he end up getting the job? I don't know. Have you seen ICI grow and change and evolve over the years? I mean, like you said, your grandfather literally in correspondence with Bill Holland in the 20s as this industry started yeah. all the yeah. way to today, 100 years later. Well, as you can see, to some degree, the functions of the organization has changed a little bit. The basic premise, as I said before, has remained making sure contractors are doing what they're supposed to making that there's sure that there's a good set of performance standards and bidding and specifications, that there's a good relationship with NDOT, who's our key component, that we're being engaged in trying to get funding secured, that we're trying to work with labor to have all the different components of what we've got to do coming together with material suppliers and the equipment distributors. And I think that ICI right now is very focused. They've got good people, good leadership. They've always had good leadership, but I, as I said, I, th I think it's in a good place now, and it always has been. But generally, that comes down to as much the members as it does the leadership, because mm -hmm. any kind of association can't really work unless the members of the association want to do the right thing. Thank you to our guest, Kevin Kelly, and thank you for listening if you want to hear more of Kevin's interview or see some of the old documents we talked about earlier in the episode, head on over to ICI100.org. That's ICI100.org. Our blog updates once a month, so be sure to keep checking back. Join us every Friday during your morning commute to hear safety talks, member spotlights, and inside information about the infrastructure and transportation construction industry. This has been ICI Digs Deep. Let's break ground together.